0: What for?
1: Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect. guy on the radio who talks to me. I can't see him, but he talks to me.
2: He you, he didn't bump you, he didn't
1: nudge you, he rubbed you, and rubbing is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to another edition of Drafting the Circuits on the Hoobazoo Radio Network. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour or more as we discuss everything racing. Uh, we had a big weekend of racing, we had not one, but two IndyCar races to talk about, as well as uh, action from the Monster Mile in Dover. Uh, we'll also preview the Canadian Grand Prix coming up as the uh, Formula One circus makes its way to our hemisphere. But uh, before we get any further, I want to introduce you to the panel tonight. Uh, first and foremost, with me as always, Mr. Gray Warren from Richard Childress Racing. Gray, great to have you in the studio tonight. How are you?
2: Doing great. Good evening, everyone.
1: Also with me, Richard Uten, um, Greg's, uh Gray's um, colleague over there, Richard Childress. Uh, R- Richard, how are you tonight?
0: I'm very good, hope everybody else is doing well.
1: Great to have you back again, Richard. and last but certainly not least, Mr. Seth Eggert, NASCAR correspondent for Motorsports Tribune um, and Seth uh, how are you?
3: I'm doing good you
1: excellent. so big weekend of uh, racing down there at the Monster mile um, and the stories just keep coming out of uh out of that race between um, uh, you know penalties and uh, people not happy with the overtime. Um, penalties in the, in the truck series, um, driver changes uh, coming up for Pocono. So, uh, I mean, with that with that being said, want, Seth, why don't you lead us off? Um, let's let's first talk about uh, Jimmy Johnson's uh, stealing the win out of Kyle Larson's hands there.
3: Well, for one thing, Kyle, uh, Jimmy Johnson qualified 14th after a gear change. He he started 39th. Uh, By the end of the first stage, he had climbed up to, like, 6th or 7th, which, that alone at the Monster Mile is pretty impressive. Uh, You had Ricky Stenhouse Jr. having tire problems about two or three times early after he finally hit the wall. Uh, The next caution was Kurt Busch getting loose underneath Keselowski and wiped them both out. From my understanding, a because I was talking to some people that were at the race, they actually caught some of the rubber that came off of Kurt Busch's tire in that wreck. So they had a pretty nice souvenir. Um, But going back to the race itself, uh, later on during the race, he actually had a fan climbing the fence under green. Uh, Dover officials were able to talk him down uh, I want to say he's being charged with trespassing, resisting arrest, among other charges. Yeah,
1: drunk and uh, disorderly and whatnot. Did, didn't did a guy try to do that at Richmond a couple of years ago, too? I remember seeing that Except that, that
3: Richmond, at Richmond, they threw the caution.
1: Okay, so it's, Silver, it's, it's, a, it's okay NASCAR to climb the did. fence under caution?
3: No. No, no, they <laughs> threw the caution because he was on the fence.
1: Oh, okay. I got you. Yeah. Meanwhile, Maybe Dover, it was a... they
0: didn't throw the caution. Maybe it was a team member trying to get a caution for one of
1: <laughs> Yeah, it to... didn't work out. Yeah, that's one of the otter stories out of the weekend. But uh, Seth, I'm sorry, go
3: ahead. But Kyle Larson and Martin Tricks Jr. essentially dominated the day. Jimmy Johnson was running third for the bulk of the day. Uh, late in the race, he had Ty Dillon stay out, and through a Let's see. Yellow during green flag pit stops and different strategy. He took the lead for about 30, 40 laps. Uh, On the final restart, it was Jimmy Johnson versus Kyle Larson. Except when they got to the backstretch under Yellow, uh, Kyle Larson almost spun in the speed. dried out still there. Same goes for Ty Dillon, who was restarting right behind him. Jimmy McMurray behind Dillon. And it I was going to say it was a chain almost three or four rows back. Uh, They restart the race, and... Dylan, I don't know if he hit the wall or if he got hit by somebody else first, but he spins off the nose of uh, Ryan Newman across the track into the rest of the field, causing mayhem. I want to say it was about 12 cars by the time they finished wrecking. And... NASCAR deemed that Jimmy Johnson had crossed the overtime line by the time the yellow flag waved, therefore ending the race, giving Jimmy Johnson the win and relegating Kyle Larson a second. This is also Jimmy Johnson's 83rd win, tying him with Cale Yarborough, and he had been wearing—he actually received the helmet on Saturday— a helmet with a uh, special mural for Cale on the back of it, and— He was expecting to wear it longer than just one weekend. Uh, He said he's planning on having uh, something special to honor DW and uh, Bobby Allison for the 84th victory, but I don't know if they're going to have a helmet designed quickly enough or not.
1: Oh, so you're Uh. saying Jimmy Johnson wins Pocono, huh? Um,
3: Uh. Well, we haven't gotten to our picks yet. Okay. (laughs) Gray, Gray, going back, <laughs> uh, oh, I want
1: to I let Gray jump in for a little okay. bit. So, Gray, Gray, what are your well, thoughts on on the race here and, and the overtime? And was that was that the right call? Was it the wrong call?
2: Oh, the overtime for the yeah, they had to had to uh, throw the caution because they had a car slam the wall and and uh, was no way they could uh, uh, no way they could restart So it was a legit it was a legit caution. And it had it had to go into overtime because they had a car knock the fence down, had a guy blow a who I forget who it was, but he uh, blew a right. David Reagan. yeah, blew David Reagan blew a right front tire and hit the fence. So I mean, it was inopportune for uh, time for timing for uh, Kyle Larson, but yeah, it had it it was a legit call. That was I mean that was a no brainer. That had to go uh, had to go clean up the mess and then and then go out. So yeah, the overtime was was unfortunate for Kyle Larson but it was it was necessary in my opinion. But um you know, the more things change the more they stay the same. Jimmy Johnson picks up a win, I believe number 11 at Dover. Uh he of course he had a little bit of trouble there qualifying. He never qualifies particularly well there and then had the misfortune of having to change your, change the gear uh Sunday morning and relegated him to a 39th uh position start. But gosh, you know like uh, Seth alluded to, he came through the field really quick. And by the end of the first segment, he was solidly in the top 10 and ran there all day. Um, So it it was a typical, typical Dover race in that regard, because Jimmy Johnson kind of lurks around and then, you know, takes control of the race late, you know, and, and usually and that's been his MO and he comes away with the win. but uh, costly weekend for some guys. again, uh Keselowski in the wrong place at the, uh, at the wrong time when uh, Kurt Busch has a problem and, and takes him out. But, uh, of course, it was very uh, unintentional. Uh, Kurt, I think, got loose and then tried to correct it. And when it did, it bit and went right into the side of Keselowski and popped him up into the wall. But uh, Joey Logano had had his issues there. Ryan Blaney has another uh, tough luck day. I think they broke another axle. Some cars, you know, uh, we had Kyle Busch start on the pole, and uh, he had his trouble, which you know we're going to probably get into a little bit more. He had (laughs) early early pit stops, some some snafu in the in the pits. He leaves pit road, goes out goes out into uh, turn one, and the left rear tire comes off the car. And of course, we all know now that with the new new penalty rules, that's going to, and I think it was handed down today that. Kyle's going to lose his crew chief, his tire carrier and his tire changer for four races. So they will be uh, beginning this weekend and I do not think they're going to appeal it. So they will not be back until Kentucky, which will be, uh, the second race of July, uh, after, after our trip to Daytona. So that's going to be, uh, be a little bit of a problem for the number 18 team. But, uh, you know, Joe Gibbs has got a lot of depth in that organization. I think they've got people to step in and and take over the pit stop duties. The biggest thing I think will be uh, will be with the the, the crew chief. But there again, depth uh, they've got depth there. I think it'll be a couple of take them a race or maybe a race to kind of get things uh, straight. But you never know. Kyle and them have had a little bit of bad luck this year. haven't Haven't seemed to really get things going. So maybe uh, maybe a fresh. Uh, uh fresh idea uh a new new voice to talk to on the radio might kind of turn things around for them because they're going to some tracks uh michigan and a couple other sonoma a couple other places where they where they could do well so uh and joe gibbs has got to get off the snide before too long they've they've uh they've had some tough luck and i'm looking for them to kind of rebound here in in the coming weeks yeah, as,
1: as strong as they were last year, it's just really hard to fathom that, uh, you know, if any of us, any of us would have predicted that, uh, you know, by the time we got to Pocono, Joe Gibbs would be winless on the season. Uh, you know, none of us would have thought that.
0: Yeah. And especially given that, uh, you know, Furniture Row, their Alliance-affiliated uh, team, has uh, won two and uh, and dominated a lot of other races so far this year.
2: Yeah, that's, that and that says a lot right there, too. So we, we know that the... Uh, the core is there. They've just got to put it together. And, and you know, by all rights, Kyle probably should have won two or three races by now because he's been in position. Uh, he's he's dominated several races and just didn't get the finish uh, he should have got. So, you know, it's not that they've, that they've run bad. They just have had bad luck and, and not been able to, to, to put a car in victory lane, which, you know, that's that's, you know, law averages says that's not going to. That's not going to keep up, so I look for them to kind of turn their season around a little bit too, and you know they'll be when when we go to this playoff in september they'll be solidly in it and be be strong contenders, no doubt, no
0: doubt. and it's the interesting thing you look at um you know you, you're talking about Jimmy Johnson winning that race and and in many ways he had especially after the uh the penalty incurred on on Saturday going into Sunday. He probably had no right to win that race in many, many ways. But you, you see it so often with these, you know, I guess what you call the wily characters, you know, the, especially Jimmy Johnson. They can take a car that doesn't deserve to win and make it win by just sticking around, making sure that they have the fastest car at the end of the race. They make the right calls when they need to. They're calm. They're collected. They don't make mistakes like the 18 car did this weekend. They just go about their job in the professional way that they have done for the last fifteen years or so, and just get the job done um, and Some of the other things you could learn a lot from that they they seem to panic and they seem to overreact to certain situations and everybody I remember going into was it going into Texas when Jimmy Johnson won for the first time everybody was saying that it was a you know disastrous season for the uh, forty eight car They, they were there they they were nowhere exactly. And then he just wins back to back, bang bang. There you go. Right, what's wrong with us now, sort of thing. Now he's um, got. Th- now he's got three wins. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's. I mean, he could have. He was a lap and a half away from winning the six hundred as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, probably no. a, a weekend when he maybe wasn't wasn't the fastest car there. It's, you know, you. But then you, you go to the other extreme. You look at the seventy eight that are numerous. I oh, know they've had a couple of wins, but numerous races so far this year. Six hundred being an example and and um you know Dover another example they've been really really quick um and they don't get it done i mean i wonder it'd be interesting to see who's led the most laps in the last two or three years but won the least races i think that 78 car probably up there I, 78 car yeah, i cars, think you'd
1: be right yeah
2: yeah i saw some loop data this week and the 78 car and, and the 42 lead lead the uh league in le- laps led uh this year uh, Har- uh, Harvick over the last several years has been up there in laps led too, uh, not not this year as, as many, but certainly in, uh, two years ago and last year he's he's been high yeah. up on that list. But you made a really good point about Jimmy kind of just hanging around, hanging around, and being there at the end and using his experience and his guile to win races. And I and I thought about this today. The longer Jimmy Johnson drives and 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 his career, you know, he's climbing the the wins list: passing Carry Arbor this weekend, and of course, Daryl and uh, Bobby Allison next. He he is beginning to remind me more and more of the great Silver Fox, David Pearson, in the way David won races. He was he he would hang around, hang around. He always had good cars, knew what his cars could do, but he wouldn't he wouldn't waste his car. He wouldn't overextend his car. He wouldn't overextend himself. And late in the race, he would capitalize on the situation. And, and and he won a lot of races. A lot of the races that he won for the Wood Brothers, uh, he won in that fashion. So yeah, I mean, you know, that says a lot for 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 Jimmy's ability and his smarts and uh, just how he goes about his business and doing race. Never gets never gets too high, never gets too low, never loses his cool on the radio. You can I love to hear Jimmy talk on the radio, particularly after you know bad pit stops or bad things on the track? He never he never really you know, gets real shrill about it or anything. He keeps that calm, kind of calm demeanor. Uh, and, uh, and and uh, really, that I think that helps him, you know, in the overall scheme of things.
3: Now, also looking back at the, I guess, the funk that uh, Joe Gibbs Racing is in, uh, it, I don't know if you noticed during the race, other than Kyle Busch, the other three Gibbs cars, for the most part, ran relatively quiet just outside the top 10 for the bulk of the race. Uh, I don't ever remember seeing Suarez being mentioned other than uh, the fact that he finished in the top 10 in stage one. After that, he fell back. Uh, Kenseth,
2: Kenseth was pretty solid through Kenseth, most of the day. He Kenseth was trouble,
3: solid, but he, he, had trouble yes, he had. And Hamlin, I don't remember seeing where he was at all throughout the day. He ended up finishing 8th. But I want to say he hovered just outside the top <clears> 10, <throat> maybe just inside the top 10. But uh, somebody else who was running up with at least Hamlin and Suarez off and on uh, throughout the first half of the race, Ross Chastain making his debut for Jay Robinson in pre- the Premium Motorsports number 15 uh that was one hell of a run for that team. I have not seen them run that well and non-restricted plate track in years. Uh, I want to say the last time they ran that well was 2014 at Bristol and Ross Chastain ended up finishing 20th, but there was a good battle between him and Cole Witt in front of the leaders while they were being lapped, uh, it was Kyle Larson and Trucks Jr. towards the end of Stage Two, and they were putting on one hell of a show.
2: Yeah, and I mean, that one thing that contributes to it too is so many uh, so many cars that you would normally expect to finish in front of those guys had had trouble, and it was an inordinate number of cautions. With the Lucky Land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere. That kept the field bunched up, and that was good for those guys. Those guys took advantage of it and were able to uh, to to really race that day. So that yeah, it it is good for those guys.
3: Uh, I want to say that was their first top twenty at a non-restrictor plate race track, which I want to say their other top twenties, for the most part, or top tens, for that matter, have been with Michael Waltrip at either Daytona or Talladega. But going back to what happened with Kyle Busch and him losing the tire, him losing the crew chief, tire changer and tire carrier. The same thing also happened in the truck series to chase Briscoe. Only difference was where Kyle Busch, it was under yellow chase. Briscoe it was during around the green flag pit stops. Uh, they come in pit, same pit stall for, uh, if you want to go with the coincidences, uh, and leaving Pitt Road, I want to say they only had two or three of the lug nuts on the left front tire. It pops off as he's making his way around on the apron it, and brings out the yellow. Brad Keselowski Racing loses Mike Homan Jr., the crew chief, as along with the tire changer and carrier, for four weeks. Which, that's what the rule says, although in comparison with the Cup Series... The Cup Series where it's a 36 race schedule compared to the Truck Series a 22 race schedule. It's a little more harsh in the Truck Series because they're losing essentially a fifth of the season compared to the Cup Series losing about a ninth to a, qu- a tenth of the season. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, in my opinion, that's something NASCAR should look at towards it, the off season, Maybe trying to make the penalty is a little bit more uh, in line because it, it seems overly harsh in the Truck Series compared to the Premier Series.
2: Yeah, I agree. It, do, it does when you when you when you look at the number total number of races. I think uh, I read somewhere today that Keselowski is is mulling over appealing uh, that decision and probably uh, it, beg, he, begging for a little bit of mercy.
3: He has. Uh, mentioned if they do not win an appeal that he's going to have to hire a cup series pick crew, which he says often that he loses about $1 million a year just to run the two trucks full time.
2: Yeah. It's uh that's another thing has been in the news since Charlotte too, because uh, Kyle Bush was interviewed uh, about the truck series and you know, there's not a lot of talk about money now that the, since the last couple of years since the cup teams have gone to the charter system. And, you know, of course, winnings aren't printed anymore in the box score. But, but when, and so when an owner speaks about money, it kind of, people kind of perk their ears up and listen. And Kyle Busch was, was talking about, it was taking them $3.2 million to run the truck series. Uh, and what he's saying is, is, is really about a million, a million and a quarter more than it should be. Uh, one of the biggest things is they've tried to do things to cut cost, but again, we know how, how expensive racing is. But one of your biggest uh, things that you that you do is, is people. I mean, that's the thing that costs the most, and uh, you know that's that's something going to have to look at. But you know, the truck series is is in a little bit of trouble, I think, because there's only twenty six trucks entered at uh, Texas.
3: Yeah. Twenty six as of right now uh, from my understanding that one team might pull out their backup and renumber it for a 27th.
2: Yeah. But that'd be a post entry. Yes. Um, I'm sure. But, but you know, that, that says a little bit about training. And of course, we all know red horse ceased operations uh, last week. And we, we, this, this economic situation that we're in right now is still going to rear its head from time to time. We we talk about it every so often here on the show. And again, you know, uh, the, the word came out this week, and we'll discuss this a little bit later too. That the uh, Roush number six car is ceasing operations, uh, and of course that led to uh, Bubba Wallace uh, getting the uh, number forty three ride to re- in replacement of uh, Eric Amarola. So uh, you know, that's, there's some uh, still some some sponsorship issues going around in 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 all the garages, uh, and Cup is not immune to that as well
3: exactly i mean take a look at casey kane for example he at the end of the season he's losing both great clips and farmer's insurance i want to say that I'd leave just Liftmaster, which has two or three races and universe which has two races and i'm trying and Dan- to think of what else i want yeah, to say maybe and, and, panasonic
2: yeah and, and danica and danica's sponsorship woes are well a well publicized you know, uh, with that uh, number ten team as well. So, you know, all is not, you know, as it as it seems in the cup garage, like we said. There's, there's, uh, there's still a lot, uh, lot going on, and I'm sure sponsors, sponsors are looking at the TV ratings and things like that before they make decisions going in, uh, going in for uh, this year and 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 going forward.
3: Although I do have to say, on the flip side, uh. One team that actually was able to make a sponsor announcement that they actually did get a sponsor is Jeffrey Earnhardt's uh, Circle Sport, the Motorsports Group 33. They picked up Hulu for 19 races, which it's very, it's nice to see that team finally get a major sponsor.
2: Okay. Well, like I said, it, you know, it, 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 they're going to come and go. And of course you know, Everybody's out there fighting for every dollar that they can get. So, uh, you know, it's still more to be seen. I, I wish to true, where where it really shows up more uh, with trouble is going to be in the uh, in the Xfinity series and the truck series.
3: Exactly, and it's unfortunate because that's where our talent is coming from.
2: Yeah, and really, you know, it's it's tough when you can't. Uh, when you can't give these kids kids the rides they need so they can get out and, and, and show what they can do.
3: But uh, let's see. You alluded to it earlier. Uh, we have Daryl Wallace Jr. filling in for uh, Eric Almirola, which w- that was announced on Monday. Uh, let's see. It's As of right now, it's going to be about six to ten races. Uh, based on the timeline that Eric Omarola gave us at Charlotte. He said eight to 12 weeks. It's been about two and a half weeks since then, which would mean you uh, probably Bubba, look at,
2: at least eight races. For yeah,
3: at least eight, maybe a max of 10. Although there are some rumblings that haven't been there for the rest of the season, but I don't know how credible they will or will not be.
1: Well, you know. So, it, it's, so with your with your rumblings, you're hearing, right? So, where does that put Amarillo away when he wants to come back? Uh, well, I think if uh, I'm Amarillo not putting g- you on the spot, Seth.
3: <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, Petty could put out a second car, or they could work out a deal with another team. Uh, I don't want to give too much credence to rumors, but there's some that have been circulating about Danica and the number 10, but we're like we said, there's already sponsorship issues there and what happens only time will tell, but uh, a
1: very non-answer. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I know there's a lot of, a lot of, lot of, um, you know, behind the garage doors wheeling and dealing there. So we'll see, but uh, but well, it'll be interesting. I, it'll be interesting to see how uh, Bubba Wallace uh, performs in cup. The one thing, go right
3: ahead. The one thing I will say is, by my count, as of right now, at the end of the season, there could be fourteen to fifteen different teams max that will will or may have a new driver in it next year. Yeah, I think think, think that's just based on the outlook right now. Going to be
1: one of the bigger shakeups we've seen, Um, you know, and, and and. Usually, when you have a big shakeup, are two or three follow uh, because some of those seats don't work out for folks. But uh, yeah, it's going to be once that s- silly season really gears up. You know, probably after Daytona, as we get into August and whatnot, and, and towards the uh, run, run towards the uh, playoffs. There, uh, you'll will hear a lot more. Yeah,
2: and one other thing. One other thing that, one other thing that uh, you know, we 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 constantly. Uh, Each week we're dealing with penalties, and NASCAR has announced today that they may or or, are looking into uh, with repeat offenders in in some of these penalty things that that are coming up with the LIS and some other things. You know, they've tried the deal where they uh, reduce practice time and they uh, reduce uh, pit selection and things like that.
3: They even prevented... uh Austin Dillon yeah, from getting from, a starting spot at Richmond
2: from qualifying. Yeah, that was one thing because he he went through and went through tech. It took six times to get through at mm. Bristol, but NASCAR has decided that they may use tires uh, as as one of the things they take away for teams that continually or habitually
0: uh, break the rules. So that's, that's one thing we'll look yeah. at. That's and, getting a little bit sketchy. I think, really. I mean, well, you know, if you if you're you know in a race and you have a high tire attrition race, and then you know you're forced to do a long run at the end of the race on a, a set of used tires, and then you fail a tire and it goes into the you know you, yeah. you send a car into the wall. That's I mean, yeah. that's starting to play with fire a little bit, and that's, uh, that's sketchy. That's and hundred percent also. Amen. Amen.
3: Also, something else I'm going to add to that, Gray, uh, just a little comparison between this season and last season. At Dover this season, teams were allotted nine sets of tires, same as last year. At Kentucky in a, in a, next month, they're allotted nine sets. Last year, they were allotted 10. At Homestead, they're going to be allowed 10 sets. Last year, they had 12. So they're already cutting down.
1: Yeah. We, yeah. Now, uh, as, I, just, I just want to ask this. Now, in in doing this, has uh, you know, Goodyear provided a more durable tire uh, than at, that, at, mm-hmm. you know at most I mean? tracks I, they have. Okay. Well, so, yeah, yeah. I know, some sometimes Goodyear comes under fire. Uh, well,
3: durability,
2: some, some dryers, durability, some in some cases, doesn't have a lot to do with it. it. It raised, it reared its head this weekend at Dover. Yes. People were really managing their tires this weekend. When you have a race that has an excess of ten caution periods, that's where you get in a lot of trouble. And a lot of the teams that ran that ran uh had had probably maybe one set of of uh tires left at the end. Uh that that's about all Uh, they had left. Am I
0: am I also right in saying that for the Xfinity race at Dover they took a set of tires away compared to last year?
3: They did, yes. And so they
0: were down, or I mean, and some some guys were out they, of tires halfway through the race. They did the right. same thing
3: with uh, the truck series. Mm-hmm. Although I will say, in the Xfinity series, the two teams I saw repeatedly have tire issues were two of the three uh, Joe Gibbs Racing cars, and coincidentally, something else that they were doing for the first time, the Joe Gibbs Racing Xfinity teams, they were using old cup chassis that they had converted into chassis for the Xfinity series.
2: Well, that's not unusual. That's, that's, no. that's not an unusual thing. Because I, it,
3: I know it's, it's not ch- unusual, but it's very coincidental. The first week they decided to do that, they have tire issues.
0: There was certainly a lot of, um, you know, chatter around the Xfinity teams that it was potentially the fact that it was two, uh, two of the Joe Gibbs teams that were struggling that, uh, you know that that maybe wasn't a coincidence that they they had something going on there, but mm-hmm. you know it's it's not uncommon. Everybody tries to push the you push the limit a little bit, and uh, you know on setups with cambers and and, and all this sort of stuff. It uh, you know if you if you as an organization go down a certain setup route, um, you know if one has a tr- has trouble, then the chances are you know all of you guys are going to have trouble, and and stuff like camber and the like that has such a high uh, impact on tire performance entire failure rates is, is not something that's particularly easy to change mid-race yeah, they, yeah and
2: they could they could have gone into race with like 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 richard said all the teams with similar spindle geometry uh set up and, and it led to some problems you know and and it bit them you know and that that kind of thing so yeah it's um uh, and, and of course xfinity only has so many sets to begin with i think what they've they used to only have three sets to run that race with I, and it with left with whatever they had left from practice and qualifying. Some guys would always be kind of, you know, frugal with their tires during practice and qualifying and, and try to try to save a set through that to give them an additional set for the race. But, I,
3: I know in the truck race, Charlie Sauter won on essentially via tires, the way the race played out, uh, because people ran out of tires. I want to say they put on a set of, I think like 10 laps guffs yeah. and it was the newest set of tires. Anybody had, Yeah. Uh, so, well,
2: t- you know, tire strategy has always been paramount in, in the, in the Xfinity or Bush series because they've always had, had a tire limit on those. So guys had to be prudent, but I think, you know, in the cup series where the races are generally, uh, longer by it can be as much as 200 300 miles longer than a typical xfinity race like richard said it can cause it can and undoubtedly will cause problems later on down the road if they continue to cut into the what they allow the teams to have you've got to have that safety margin there uh, with the set of tires too because you get laid in a race and, and like richard said You try to stretch those things. You know, anything can happen.
1: Anything can happen. I I guess what you could do if you really run it short on tires, you could just follow Kyle Busch and then just pick up the ones that fall off. (laughs) (laughs) You know. (laughs) Uh, But i don't Now, was it? Did I? Did I not read an article recently that NASCAR was looking at? doing something similar to what they do in IndyCar and in Formula 1 with the different option tires. You know, like, like uh, in, in IndyCar, they we, run we've, the, got, the, we've the got the reds they, and the blacks. Well, oh, they then, ran
3: uh, that in the All-Star race. Right, they right. It with
1: it. So, but they, is that, they how how did that How did that go, and, and what are the, the I, results I, of that it, uh, it test for that? It went well
3: in practice. It <laughs> didn't make a difference in the night race, uh, you know, in the All-Star race itself.
2: I don't think they were prepared for it. It's to me, it's still a work in progress. You've got to be able to, uh, you've got to be able to run these tires in similar conditions, which yeah. which means you're going to have to pray. if you're going to run these cars at run these cars at night. You're going to have to have test sessions at night.
0: I think with I'm the, right in saying these that, tires. Uh, I think I'm right in saying that the option tire that they ran they'd never tested with it was the first time that it hit the track that specific compound was at that weekend so it's a bit like you're set up for failure there aren't you really you're going to really struggle if 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 that's what you're doing but um i i I don't know how it would work on oval racing you know you you obviously see an indycar on the street courses and um you know formula one there's a distinct difference you know they on the um, you know with the endurance levels of those tires, I I really don't know how that would work on oval racing, and if the fans would interact with it as well, and if it would be as obvious. I I really I don't I'm not sure. It'd be interesting to see. I think it's an interesting idea. But I think uh, I think with, with some
2: time and some work, they could probably come up with some. But like this, they're going to have to extensively test, and they're going to have to to test in the same conditions that they'll race under. Not you know not go down there and have an all day test you know and testing during the daylight and then voila we we run the race in the evening it's you, you're not comparing apples yeah to apples. and and but sometimes but, sorry go ahead sorry what I was going to say it's it's not a concept that is that is completely uncommon to NASCAR back in the '60s and '70s when there were two tire companies
3: or even in the street, '90s
2: well. But the thing in the '90s with the Hoosier deal was a completely different thing. But, yeah. go, but I go back to the '60s and the '70s when there were two legitimate tire companies, Firestone and Goodyear, and there were typically they they showed up at the racetrack with with uh, different compounds. And late in the race, guys would change tires and run the softer compound, you know, for short run. Short run things, so it's not uncommon in the sport. It was done many, many, many years ago, and of course, like Seth just alluded to, there was the uh, there was the debacle back in the nineties when Hoosier came in and there was two tires, and then of course that was a that kind of was a tire war situation where uh, both Goodyear and uh, uh, Hoosier were vying for teams to run their tires, so they would come come with a compound, try to make their tire faster in some cases and would sacrifice durability which led to a mess and a fiasco uh, during that time so but this would be a little bit different i think with uh with some work you know it, it needs to be explored i think it like richard said it would be interesting to see to give those guys an option or maybe maybe they would have to install rules like they do in formula one and and uh in indycar where you have to run Those tires in at least one stint or something, you know, something of that nature to use the tire up where where strategy comes into play. But, uh, you know, it's it it makes IndyCar interesting. You know, it did. It was you know, that was one of the things this weekend between the Reds and the Blacks. And we'll get into that when we talk about Detroit. But yeah, it could it could work. But like I said, it's going to take some it's going to take some work and some testing to to, to, to perfect it.
1: Yeah. So, Greg, I take it just listening to your comments that you are like like minded like like I am that that we don't need another tire war. We we need one solid tire partner for a series. Yeah. That, that yeah. That, because I, I was thinking, as you said, I, I was remember when we had you know Goodyears and Firestones mm-hmm. uh, in IndyCar. And, um, and and again, you know, to your point, the whole Hoosier thing, uh, but uh, and then you see safety is compromised. Then, but uh, yeah. it, my thought has always been over the last, just as an observer of all the kind of racing, I think that Pirelli is a pretty strong partner for Formula One, and and I know Firestone is a fantastic uh, partner for IndyCar. I just, I, I you know, I, I just when it comes with Goodyear and NASCAR, there there seems to be. You know, a lot, a lot, a lot of push and pull, give and take. You know, a lot of times that you hear drivers get in the interview and they want to throw Goodyear under the bus. Um, and yeah, you, you almost never hear that in IndyCar. Uh, everyone they, they always say, oh, and the Firestone tires were great. I don't know if they're paid to say that, but uh, the, funny the, you should
2: the, mention the, that. The,
1: the, the tire, you, you don't see tire failures in yeah. Formula One and IndyCar at, at the rate you do in NASCAR. And is it is it that Goodyear is not as committed? Um,
3: uh, well, to, to the Very. program,
1: or or are they just behind on the developmental curve uh, with the car? You know, and and you mentioned the, the, la- really lack of testing, the lack yeah. of testing. The lack of testing is is really the big thing.
0: with we'll the go- with the t- tire failures in in NASCAR, it'd be interesting to see how many tire failures are structural failures of the tire, as in a bad tire that's failed. How often it is the as we mentioned early, a little bit earlier the the teams pushing the geometry of the of the suspension mm-hmm. and, and in terms over stressing the tire, and I think I would put in, from what I've seen that the vast majority of those tire failures are actually resulting in damage and bodywork failing and and, mm-hmm. and rubbing on tires, which caused yeah. the issue. I think that, fundamentally the pretty solid, um, you know, pretty solid, uh, pretty solid tire. Yeah, and
2: stock car racing is a totally different animal. You you you've got a heavier car. You're racing on. You're racing on, on, on high-banked ovals in most cases. So the stresses on the tire are, 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 are a lot more. Plus, you know, uh, stock car racing is a full-contact sport in, in a lot of cases. And like Richard alluded to, there's a lot of bumping and rubbing, and there's, there's other forces working on those tires, cutting them down and that kind of thing. And then we talk about, you know, the, uh, the, the geometry that we put in these cars that causes additional stress. Goodyear is very committed to the sport, but like I said, stock car racing is a different animal than than, than Formula One and 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 in IndyCar, so it's a little bit different. But but talking about this, if if they do go to to option tires in NASCAR, it's going to be make it's going to be a more of an expensive proposition, and who is going to who that that cost is going to, to develop those tires is going to be passed along to the teams you know and somebody's going to have to, they're going to have to absorb some of that cost so that's another thing to look at going forward too and uh with IndyCar they've been at this thing a little bit longer you know it, it, with Pirelli and, and Firestone uh it, operating in the IndyCar they know what they do I think what is it Richard
0: there's usually three options at a Formula One race is that correct yeah. Um, so now this is the first year where teams can actually select themselves from uh, the, the options that Pirelli make available. So you'll see you'll see some teams go for one or two sets of say medium tire, which is probably what they'll start Friday practice on, and then they'll go into softs and super softs, and they'll predominantly run the race on the softs and the super soft tires, and 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 go from there. And as I said this year is the first year where the teams have been able to turn around and say, well, we're going to have three sets of super softs and four sets of softs and one set of mediums. Or they'll juggle it around depending on driver or depending on vehicle dynamic um, setup and, and how they like to um, push tires or how, how, how their driver and car style um, suits a particular uh, configuration.
2: Yeah, and 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 if I'm I'm correct in this, they have to whatever they choose. They have to run a stint with each yes. set. that
0: they, Right. They have to complete unless it's a wet race. So if mm-hmm. the race is declared a wet race, they don't have to run. They they can only they only have to run one set. So they have to compl- they have to start the race on the tire they set their fastest lap on in q2 or three if they don't get out sorry one or two if they don't get out of q1 it would be the tire they're using q1 in q2 everybody's tire even if you progress through to q3 is the tire using q2 i believe that's the case um so they have to start the race on a qualifying tire so they're not starting on a brand new tire and um then they go into the uh you know race with that so you'll see some guys in qualifying they'll they'll qualify especially the the last five or six guys um you know they may go on a harder compound tire if they know that they're not going to get into that first uh, first round of qual- or second round of qualifying and, and maybe go for a slightly longer stint at the start of the race and
2: that would be why the guys that, that like mercedes and ferrari they're really are really frugal with the laps they run in each session. Correct. They try, yeah. to, try to get out and run as few laps. It's similar to the knockout qualifying with, you know, in cup where the guys go out and try to be as frugal as they can, not try to put a lot of laps on their cars as they progress through the rounds of qualifying. And Frank, for you, uh, in IndyCar, they have to run a stint in the blacks and, and, and the reds as it goes. Most races, correct.
1: That's correct. Yeah, yeah. I believe you need to do uh... Uh, uh,
2: other than ovals. Now, ovals is t- uh, no, yeah. Ov-
1: ovals is a different story. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. They've got and, and straight up oval tires. Yeah, and so. it's
2: interesting. We should have this tire discussion too. Where I read today is uh, Firestone is is coming is coming with a different tire for texas
1: yes i I read that today and and there was some
2: they they experienced some blistering at the test that they had uh earlier on so they're coming back with with another tire and it's going to be a little bit of an unknown uh unknown for the teams when they arrive at at texas this
1: weekend a little bit yeah but um you know again you know firestone has always brought a good product for the for the cars there and I, I believe all the drivers have all the confidence in the world but they need to see how their car feels with that tire yeah it's just you it's know, just going to add a little, little a bit of element like, to the race places yeah. like texas is texas is kind of uh really you know really dicey and the cars are are, are side by side and and
2: you know. And it's a little bit different from the last time they were there, too. It's been repaved, reconfigured. Yes. So, uh, and not all the teams have tested there. Is that correct?
1: Well, most of them did. Most of them okay. did. We had, we had the test earlier, and I see Joey was down there. Um, Joey Barnes, who's on our show sometimes, uh, was down there at the test a few weeks. It was right before uh, we entered the month of May. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of the teams tested there. Uh, some of the drivers haven't. Um, obviously, um like, like uh, Gutierrez, who was uh, in the coin car at, uh, Detroit, uh, was not clear to drive for Texas because he has not tested on an oval yet. And we'll see Tristan Vautier in that car. Um, just because of that, you know, you know Texas is, uh, it's a high speed. It's a, it's an interesting, really interesting race, you know, side by side, you know, talk about the pack racing, um, Texas is going to be an exciting show, um, Next week well, can, or this weekend, yeah, it's
3: also car, been so. reconfigured too. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can understand. So I can understand in
2: not yeah. clearing him for that race. And it, oh yeah, situ- on, on yeah, a Similar notice, situations yeah. arise in NASCAR where you know they like to see some of these kids race on some bigger tracks before on some of these tracks before they allow them to 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 run uh, like some of the high speed mile and a halfs, like Charlotte and and uh, and Vegas and Texas. They'll kind of a lot of them work they'll climb the climb up the ladder before they before before they cut 'em loose. And I think that's prudent. I think that's good. But yeah. we need to do our picks for NASCAR before we move move on into the open the wheel yeah, so, in earnest.
1: So we're going to Pocono Uh and who wants to pick I picked,
3: first? You well you wanna I go picked first Seth I know. Week, so. you pick first last uh, week you
1: you can pick. Go ahead.
3: Uh I'm actually probably going to take your pick uh
1: you take Frank Keselowski re- rebounds from two racks, yeah.
3: Yeah, I'm going to pick Keselowski.
1: All right, I let you. Great, <laughs> great. Who you got for Pocono?
2: Well, I tell you what, I, I'm 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 going to go with uh, I'm going to go with Kyle Larson, and the reason I'm going, he ran really ran ran, ran pretty well there at, uh, at both races last year, and I think you know he there again, he's. He's been right there each week, uh, and I, and of course we're going to two tracks back to back that are going to be really good for him, uh, Pocono and uh, and Michigan. But I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say Kyle rebounds from disappointment at Dover and picks up the win this weekend.
1: All right, that's outstanding. Now, Richard, who you got?
0: Uh, I'm going to go with some, you know, two disappointing weekends back to back in terms of pace, but no result. Uh, Martin Truex Jr.
1: Okay. So you stole my other pick. I'll go with the other guy with the disappointing weekend. It's like Kyle Busch finally puts Joe Gibbs on the windboard board in a points paying race, um, at Pocono. So, uh, at and, and Pocono, you know, for me, one of my favorite tracks, my, uh, my mother's family lives right there in Freeland, Pennsylvania. Uh, the Pocono motor speedway was less than 20 minutes from my grandmother's house. I, uh, You know, I've been to NASCAR and IndyCar races there uh, for years. I'll never forget the crazy, ridiculous 1981 Vanskoy Diamond Mine 500, which was right about the time that CART was splitting from USAC. And this was one of the last USAC USAC sanctioned races, and they didn't have enough USAC um, IndyCars to fill the field because everybody else had joined CART. Uh, so they filled so they filled the field with um, the USAC dirt cars, the Silver Crown cars, as they called them there. So you had Indy cars, and then these sprint cars on the track at the same time. And it was just a ridiculous <laughs> embarrassment. And thankfully, it started to rain after 300 laps to put an end to it. But at the same time, it was A.J. Foyt's last win in an Indy car. And I was there in 1981 at Pocono, and... Um, that's something I'm proud of <laughs> I'm proud to be that old but I'm still younger than gray so <laughs> so yeah, you go. so let's let's move on let's talk about IndyCar since we're talking about IndyCar so we had two races in Detroit um, the the duel in Detroit as they used to call it this year they've decided just to call it the Detroit Grand Prix um, this is this is an event that's been on again off again uh, for years I mean they this race began as a Formula One race in 1982. Um, they ran the downtown circuit around the um, Renaissance Center uh, until Formula One backed out because the you know crumbling track surface uh, uh, pit lane that wasn't up to FIA standard uh, became a kart race, kart race downtown for three years. Then they moved it over to Belle Isle. Emerson Filippaldi won the first Belle Isle race um, and they ran there until... The car decided to back out because poor access, muddy paddock, um, uncompetitive track. Uh, Then the thing sat dormant, so Roger Penske said, you know, IndyCar needs to be in Detroit because that's where we make cars in America. And um, so it came back in in 2007 uh, and disappeared again after 2009 when the Detroit economy fell through. And then it came back again in 2012. And then in t- 2013 it was a doubleheader, and it's been a doubleheader ever since. So this this race has endured a lot, but uh, uh, but but here it is again, the Detroit Grand Prix, um, one of the it's getting to be one of the longest enduring road races in America, despite the uh, on and off things. Um, still uh, still a, a double, and Graham Rahal swept the thing. Uh, none of us would have picked Graham Rahal to sweep the thing. Um, as I look at this thing, Graham Rahal wasn't. You know, but a few months ago, um, you know, after Detroit and Alabama, Ray Hall was uh, lamenting uh, how horrible it was being a one-car team, didn't have anybody to share information with or pool information with, um, and just how he felt like the, the deck was stacked against him. Well, they add Oriol Servia to the team for the month of May for Indianapolis, and Servia also runs in Detroit for both races, um, and suddenly Graham. Dominates both both races. Doesn't just win, but dominates. He didn't, you know, n- not a lucky win there. Won the pole for race one, qualified uh, P two for race two, um, and dominates the thing. So there's something to be said with that. Somebody to pool information with, you know. Servia did okay, uh, but Graham Graham ruled the weekend. And the, the funniest comment I read all weekend was Graham Rahal has now won more races in 24 hours or won the same amount of races in 24 hours than Marco Andretti has won his whole career. (laughs) So (laughs) that's the funniest thing I read, but, uh, Mm. um, any of you guys get a chance to catch IndyCar races?
2: I caught, uh, I caught a good portion of the first race on Saturday and, and got watched. I didn't, I didn't see any of of the Sunday race, but, uh, I was impressed with Scott Dixon Dixon's run in the Saturday race. Um, you know he's he's a little banged up from his crash at uh, at Indy, and I thought that was a good solid uh, solid weekend for him. He got a he got a good finish. Got a podium on got a podium, uh, on yep. Saturday, and he got, I think he got fifth or sixth place on uh, on Sunday. So good points weekend for for Dixon.
1: But you're talking about a guy who finished next to last in the Indy 500 on a double points weekend, and um, came into Detroit and retook the points lead yeah this this guy's this guy's leading the points after dropping out of a double points race based on the fact that he hasn't finished outside of the top four or five other than the big crash at Indy
2: and the Penske cars had a rebound from from uh Saturday to Sunday
1: yes they did yeah well they they did a uh, they adopted a three-stop strategy um actually it was on Sunday Takuma Sada was uh Pretty much controlling the early stages of the race, um, but I, Ray Ray Hall nipped him after the first pit stops. Uh, Ray Hall had a little more speed on the track. Uh, great uh, in lap on the pits there. Ray Hall comes out with the lead. Uh, Penske with New Garden and uh, Power adopt a three stop strategy, slot themselves in between uh, Ray Hall and Takuma, and um, kind of spoiled Takuma's day. But but for his. You know, for his average, Takuma Sato. You know, came home. Uh, you know, fourth on Sunday and eighth on Saturday, and he's third in the points.
3: And yep. didn't uh, Simon Pagino finish like sixteenth or seventeenth in the second race? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't remember I'm, seeing. I'm I haven't.
1: I don't. I haven't seen Pagino since Phoenix. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah um yeah. he, he's, he's kind of he's, been really laying low um
2: he really hasn't you know cuz cuz last year he was dominant i mean he was even in the races he didn't win he was a factor uh yes. each week and i've been somewhat surprised how that how that team has has run this year they haven't been you know other than phoenix they haven't uh you know they really haven't been on the been on the radar of course they they've had i think what it uh they had a decent finish at Long Beach, but uh, I just, you know, it's it's that it's just not the same vibe coming out of that team as it was last year's championship year.
1: Well, they're not the same vibe coming out of the season this year as when it looked from early that there's was going to be Penske dominate the whole thing. Because if you look right now, we've had eight races, seven different winners, right? And how many different teams have we had? One, you know, the Coin team has one, Schmidt Peterson has one, Andretti's one. Uh, Penske's won two, right, right, and now and now, and, and now Rahal's won two, so we, we've and got we've got a it's it's you know well across the board. And you talk about the guys that haven't won yet, you know, Dixon hasn't won yet, Castro Nevis hasn't won yet, and those guys are a threat to win every weekend. And um,
2: and Dixon and Ka- Castro Nevis are up near the they're, they're near first, the top they're of the first, and,
1: first and second place. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so and,
2: you know they're going to break through at some point. But That's I think that just the and Ryan hunter, Ryan hunter Ray has been
1: strong, yeah. And and speaking of the competitive, I mean, this is the kind of thing where, uh, again, we're still another week removed from Indy, and and there, we're still talking about Lewis Hamilton's mouth, right? I think <laughs> time, I think Tony Kanon had the best comment when he said, "Well, the guy raced in a in a, cha- a championship between two guys, and, and, he, finished, finished, and he finished
2: second, second in and the he two car
1: series." Yep. Yep. So. Uh, <laughs> You know, more power to it. That's why I love the IndyCar series. But uh, I, you know, Detroit is not one of my favorite races. It's not one of my favorite race courses. Um, but at the same time, the promoters uh, and the president of the Speedway Corporation or the um, Detroit Grand Prix Corporation was uh, very pleased. He said uh, 100,000 weekend attendance. You know, that's over the three days um and i think he said about 13 million dollars um into the economy of detroit uh so he was pretty pleased with the Yeah weekend. i don't think it's going
2: anywhere this it's not going anywhere even despite the environmentalists protesting uh
1: Oh, well, there, there were this weekend. Yeah, 26 people showed up to protest, yeah. But yep. 100,000 people showed up to watch the race. So <laughs> yeah. so
2: vastly outnumbered.
1: Vastly outnumbered. At the same time, you know, the, they they do all these charity events to uh, kind of put that money back into that. that could, there's a wonderful Nature Conservatory on Belle Isle uh, where they do a charity event every year. And this year they raised $700,000 for that. Um, but uh, Belle Isle itself um, was a city-owned property Um, back in 2014 it reverted to the state when um, the city of Detroit declared bankruptcy and it was made an official state park since then the state has poured I want to say 20 million dollars into improvements and then Roger Penske threw another 13 million dollars of his own money in, in of improvements into uh bell isle as a state park you know not just mm-hmm. for the race so it's really a beautiful place if you've ever been up there again i i don't find the race course compelling but uh, if fans are going and the promoters are happy and the numbers are good then it's a positive yeah. all the way around well, they turn
2: they turn it into a festival atmosphere oh yeah heat just heat like long beach that's
1: yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yeah. yeah so but uh going forward we've got uh so, like I said, Gutierrez uh, was in the coin car. He did okay. I mean, he, I think he finished 14th in the, in the, or 19th in the first race, 14th in the second. But he brought the car home in one piece. Um, they're going to have him sit out at Texas. But some of his comments after coming over from Formula One, he was with Haas last year, was uh, he really enjoyed driving IndyCar. He said it was a lot more physical, but he said it was one of the most pure race cars he's ever driven. Pretty much uh, was, what what Alonzo said. Pretty much what Alonzo uh, said. Yeah.
2: So it, I don't... it's more it's more raw. You know, uh, I think was the term that that Alonzo used. Well, that's great. I mean, and that's I think great. there yeah, was so, another uh, another article this week that came out that that Alonzo, I think he attended the banquet after the Indy five hundred on Monday night and was astounded by how much money he won. And he <laughs> he said even and here's a guy who probably you know. His contract, just, you know, it, it, nobody knows what that is, but I'm sure it's very, very lucrative. But he was, here's a guy that says he was astounded by how much money he won and would say, saying that that's going to bring more more F1 drivers over in the future
1: now. now, yeah, well, uh, because most, most F1 drivers pay <laughs> to, for their seats. <laughs> you know, they have to pay the team. So, uh, yeah, I think Alonso took home uh, a little over half a million, 575,000, something like that. Um, but I guess these guys I guess there's not actually prize money in Formula 1.
2: Richard can you speak? Um
1: perhaps not typically I don't know, comes, these it, guys it, it typically drive for salary. Through,
0: yeah, it typically comes through sponsorship and performance related and end of season bonuses, I believe. Right, uh, but, there, but there's not I a know,
1: there's not a prize fund for a race say, hey you uh you finish you know here today, no, here's your
0: check. Exactly. Yeah, they don't yeah, have in so, Formula no, so at the end of the season, it'll be distributed amongst the teams. Uh, it all it all goes on constructors championship. Uh, some teams will give their staff a bonus depending on driver championship and constructor championship. I know Red Bull do that, or they used to. Uh, whereas most teams will do it purely on constructor championship, uh, and that's their big thing. That's their that, that's where they make their money from. Um, you know, you can have one guy who finishes high up in the standings and another guy who doesn't score any points and you're not going to get as much prize money as if you have two average guys, want of a better word. Um, So it's typically split that way. Then you do also get these things that um, like Williams and Ferrari and I think Renault get it now as well. They're sort of legacy team money as well, which is a bit of a strange. They get an extra $15 million a year just because they've been around for a while.
1: Yeah, that's the kind of thing that that keeps teams like Manor... Uh, going to bankruptcy,
0: exactly. They don't yeah, have a piece exactly.
1: of that pie. Which is it'll be interesting
0: other... to see how Liberty handle that. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do with that. It will be. Yeah, this is.
1: Uh, we need to get our old friend Steve Abel back on the show because he's he's well versed in how all that works with the uh, the, the prize cut money and car has got a similar thing with the, the they call it the leader circle payout. Um, but but it doesn't. You know. the in Formula One, you get a bigger chunk because you're Ferrari, or you get a bigger chunk because you're Williams, or you get yep. a bigger chunk. You know, it's it's the it, the IndyCar thing is more based on your performance from the prior year. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, where so, Indy- so where's
2: IndyCar this weekend?
1: Oh, we're we're in Texas, Texas, right? Texas on Saturday night under the lights. Um, and this has been man, this has been a action packed a couple of weeks for IndyCar because you're talking they went you know. To the the Grand Prix, to the qualifying for Indy, to the 500, right to the Duel in Detroit, and now to a short week where we're racing on Saturday night in Texas. Um, It's the um, I, it's the Rain Guard Sealers 600, which I find amusing (laughs) because last year's race was rained out, (laughs) so they
2: had to uh, to return.
1: Yeah, the Rain Guard Sealers is the uh, the event sponsor. Um, but they've, they've reconfigured the track. This did the same thing they did in Kentucky, where they tried to fix all those drainage issues. But uh, the good news is the weather looks like it's going <clears> to <throat> perhaps rain a little bit on Friday. Um, but, but, you know, no rain in the forecast um, all day Saturday. That's um, good
2: because they had a rainy weekend rainy weekend in uh, Texas this weekend because of a lot of the NCAA baseball tournament action was uh was delayed uh most of the weekend. So that'd be good for IndyCar. IndyCar needs a good so, a good strong showing in Texas this week. So
3: what you're saying is if it rains on uh Friday, we might actually have a double header on Saturday because you have the truck series also in Texas.
1: Yeah. Could be, yeah. Yeah if the trucks get rain now they can run Saturday afternoon because um IndyCars run Saturday night.
2: <coughs> Who do you like? Who, who do
3: we I like, like for, uh... I like
1: Hinchcliffe for Texas. Uh, if you look at last year's Texas race, Hinchcliffe kind of dominated that race till the late caution, and then Graham Rahal was able to sneak up on him and uh, you know nip him in the bud and take that win by just a couple of inches. But I think mm-hmm. uh, uh, Hinchcliffe Schmidt Peterson team. That's where I'm going with for Texas.
0: All right, who you like, Richard? Uh, I think after their pretty strong showing at, uh, at Indy, you've got to, you know, you can't look past some of those Andresi cars, um, Ryan Hunter, Ray.
1: Good pick. Good pick. Gray, Who you got?
0: I'm thinking about it and I'm going to flip flop on, uh,
2: I'm going to flip flop Richard, Richard, not going to flip flop from Indy. I'm going to, I'm going to go Ed Carpenter. He'll be back in the mm. car again. He's, he's run good at Texas before. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Ed Carpenter. And that's,
3: and, Chev- and that's a Chevrolet, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he was a
1: Chevy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Ed's in a Chevy, yep.
3: And I, I'm i the last one to pick, so... Yeah, 17. Nobody, somehow nobody took my pick. Uh, I'm going to go with Joseph Newgarden and say he gets redemption after last year.
1: After flipping okay. over and breaking his wrist, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good yeah. pick, good pick, yeah, so... All right, so All let's. Right. Um, we're, we're kind of running out of time. We're up against the clock. We're actually in our green white checker in overtime right now. But I want to. I want to talk about the Canadian Grand Prix coming up. And speaking of the Canadian Grand Prix, uh, there was a guy who won the Canadian Grand Prix in 2008, Robert Kubica, who um, was uh, later injured in a rallying accident in 2018, um, ended up having a good portion of his forearm amputated. You know, he he, he didn't lose his hand but the, the middle portion of his forearm was amputated and he's been out of racing for a couple of years trying to rebuild himself. But this past weekend he was in a Formula One car uh testing a Renault. Um I don't know if this is gonna go anywhere with him. Uh the for him the test was very emotional. Uh for him, um uh, you know people uh, like Alonzo, um, we're tweeting, God, it's so good to see you back, Robert. But, um, you know, good for Robert to see him back in a Formula 1 car after that uh, pretty horrible rallying accident from a couple of years ago. Um, so that was a pretty neat story. Uh, but but we're on to Canada. And, Richard, who do you like for Canada?
0: Put <sighs> uh, <yeah. laughs> you It's, spot. T- it's so good about it this year, though, isn't it? That is what's so good about Formula 1 this year you don't nobody knows you know in the last probably the last seven eight years you know you've had the red bulls and you've had the mercedes now you genuinely don't know it's brilliant it's exactly how it should be um i'm i'm tempted to go with hamilton i think uh last time last time he had a a bad race at uh in in russia he bounced back uh in uh in, in spain i believe and you know, he had a poor weekend in, uh, in in Monaco, and I expect to see him bounce back again. I think he's he's driven well there in the past, and and in general, Can Canada, is a great race. Because I, love, it's, that. It's old I love that.
2: track up there.
0: Yeah, it's an old-fashioned track. It's you know, it's not been it's not one of these modern tracks that's been sort of neutered by the FIA and has. You know, acres of runoff space and, tarmac it's, it's runoff. Flattened
1: out and
0: yeah. Yeah, you know, it's a proper racers track and you know, got the the so called wall of champions there coming onto the start finish line and the hairpin and some great tracks some great corners there. And it adds a little dimension to it as well. In in breakway, this is, I believe I'm right in saying this is the highest um brake usage track in the uh Formula one calendar. There's I was going to say at least four, maybe five big, hard braking zones that, mm-hmm. you know, really, really stress these cars out and stress the braking systems out, and especially with the new um, electronic fly-by-wire braking systems, which they've introduced into these uh, hybrid cars. The drivers don't necessarily get that feedback and that feel for exactly how... Responsive the brakes are, they don't feel it through the pedal, they just all they get is a brake temperature and a brake wear number. So it's interesting, it'll be interesting to see how, um, you know, if we see these issues we've seen in the past. I remember I could be right in saying that Force India a couple of years ago retired both cars relatively early in the race with brake failure. Um, so it, it's always a great race, and um, you know, it, it's always nice now living over uh, this side of the pond. Being able to uh, watch a race and not having to get up at six a.m. in the morning to watch it.
2: Yeah, it's going to be a good day, Sunday, because the cup race starts starts after three o'clock, and I guess the uh, the the uh, Formula One race will start start around one o'clock.
0: Yes, yeah, so it'll probably probably just about uh, just about the F1 race will just about finish when the uh, cup race is go, goes green. That'll be
2: good. Be a good day. It'd be a good day to watch So watch some racing I, I i'm like richard i tell you what it's hard to pick right now i mean you can it, it, you just really got to wait and see how qualifying goes that's your cue right there to see see which teams which team shows up and and and, and performs well and in, in practice and qualifying i do think uh, i do agree with richard that uh, hamilton's going to try to rebound from a disappointing uh weekend in monaco but uh i'm going to say that uh Uh, Ferrari's riding, got the momentum right now, and uh, if they can keep it going, uh, I'm going to say Vettel uh, makes it two in a row.
1: Vettel, yeah, that's a good pick there. I'm going to go with, you know, I think that, you know, Canada's a a track that's always favored a a good, good chassis, and I I still think, you know, despite the power that the uh, Ferrari and the Mercedes have in, uh, in, in the back of the car, that Red Bull still has the best chassis out there. And so I'm going to go Ricardo.
3: And I'm guessing that leaves me for that, last that, that leaves you. And
1: Seth, <laughs> and Seth, you know, we know you don't follow Formula 1 uh, too much, so uh, I'll let you go ahead and pick whoever uh, you want.
3: Uh, I'm just going to – I do actually have two names in mind that I do still know. Somehow. If that I makes do still know. Um, That's funny. <laughs> I love you,
1: Seth. You're my best friend.
3: Well, I'm gonna, I was gonna say one, the one I'm gonna pick. I only know him because he made a couple NASCAR starts back in 2011. Uh, Kimi Reckoning. You know he what? Kimi's
1: G- way overdue for a Formula One yeah. win. That's an excellent pick, Seth.
3: And he got he's really
2: disappointed after after Monaco because
1: he should have yeah, won he, Monaco. Yeah, he probably probably for all intents perfect. purposes should have. Um, yep.
2: Yeah.
0: The question is, will he be allowed to win?
1: Yeah. That's, you that's the thing that's and that's formula 1 for you.
0: Yeah. So. It's you know it's uh yeah, it, this stage of the season just nah, yeah, let them race.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, guys. And I tell you what they're putting on such a hell of a show right now, I tell you what. They got to be pleased with their season as as it's going.
0: Well, I mean, I think I saw Hamilton make a comment that the only way he's going to win the championship now is if uh Vettel retires from a race. Mm-hmm. I think that's a little bit of an extreme Opinion, because I think that, uh, you know, you never underestimate the Mercedes, and, you know, they can yeah. certainly go on a hot streak and win three or four races in a row, and, uh, you know, and if, got... if Bottas can can uh, get himself in the mix as well, then that will obviously push Vettel back a little bit, but, uh, yeah, you know, there's certainly... Um, you know the, the the Mercedes boys are actually having to sit up and and uh, you know pay attention for for a change, which I think is good. It's it's good to see them under pressure a little bit.
2: Yeah, and you know, and the thing about it is a lot of racing left. We've got oh yeah, you know, we've got uh, what what comes up after uh, after Canada? Where do they go?
0: I'm going to Austria. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's pretty good. And then the summer break is
2: coming up when the, the summer uh, break I, th- is I think we're, I think we're Br- Brazil after
0: yeah. Canada, correct? Mm, let me just check. no, I, no. Brazil's normally towards the end of the season. Um, yeah, I'm yeah. pretty certain it's Canada, and then I think they do go Austria. Let me uh, so they go Canada and no, oh sorry, Canada, Azerbaijan, Austria, and then uh, the UK at Silverstone. So,
3: so Baku
0: would be the next race after Canada. Yes, yeah, the street circuits around Baku. Yeah. Okay, hopefully there will so be got, a little bit of a better race than it was last year. When so we've got, there.
2: we've got three
0: races between now and the break, right? Uh, no, you go through to Hungaro Ring, Hungarian Grumpy. So you got five races,
2: and then then the break, and then and in Spa after after yeah. the uh, after, first race after the break. Okay,
0: first, yeah, so you what? got uh, you got Spa and Italy are the last two of the European. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spar and Mons were the last two of the european uh season and then they go on their um sort of uh asian tour again with singapore malaysia japan and then they come back to the u.s for the circuit of americas mexico brazil and then the uh snooze fest that is abu dhabi
2: well it should be an exciting weekend be, be fun to watch got a lot got a lot to see indycar saturday night
1: and uh F1. Formula One, yeah, early early afternoon, and cup cup and for then, your cup for your dinner time. That's right. Yep, yeah, it could be a Finish great weekend. But uh, we've uh, we are way over our time, so uh, we're gonna have to sign off. Again, you are listening to Drafting the Circuits on the Hubazoo Radio Network. I want to thank my panel. I want to thank you, Gray. I want to thank you, Seth. I want to thank you, Richard. Uh, it was great talking to you guys. I want to thank all you folks that are listening in tonight. Um, we appreciate you a ton, and we'll talk to you in one week's time. Good night. W H O B Z O go to wizard dot com. Enter website. Enter website. Enter website. Enter website.